Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where you get questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm very excited. It's going to be a very internationally flavored emergency. Also, I'm under protest. Yeah, it was the hum. We let that go too long. Sometimes when Glenn's done, I got to jump in. Otherwise, we get those kind of oddly... Oddly excitable hums. Also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. Between it being not a real podcast and the exciting international flavor, I don't even know what to think. It's a topsy-turvy world this week here on the Say That Podcast. For many reasons, one is we are not joined by regular co-host. One of the pastor of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger, he is on special assignment at Young Life's Sharp Top Cove. And, um, you know, we're all in middle age, and Lee has just recently spent 72 hours being around and wrangling high school kids is one of those things where I said, you know what? We record pretty late at night. You should probably just go ahead and go to bed. <laughs> and because he's a wise, wise man, Lee's response was, I think that's, that's good. I would not be in a position to give any wisdom to anyone. Glass of warm milk, put on the sleeping cap and straight to bed. Well, listen, I think we've, uh, you know, emergencified uh, Lee not being here enough. Okay. Oh. It's time to move on. Uh, wow. Okay. Wow. So, anything you want to move on to? Can be stuck in the past. I declare a Scandinavian emergency. What? Well, the good news is, if anyone gets hurt in this emergency, their health care will be easily taken care of. That's <laughs> right. Well, here's what it is, fellas. We've got fans all over. That is true. Sure. We have super fans all over. Yeah, the type got... we have. We skip right over the regular fan. They got capes and everything. It's amazing. Yeah. People listening to this show are the best people on earth. Definitely. Definitely better than us. Am I pandering? Of course I am. Constantly. But I also mean it as far as you know. Sure. So we have super fans all over. Right. Now the super fans who really want to take to the next level right. send us delicious treats. Yes. Yep. Now, and we encourage this. Uh, we think a, any sort of competition for our favor is a great thing. Absolutely. Please fight over me. Now, here's what's happened. Uh, we're, we're doing this by continent. Yes. You know, Australia and New Zealand are just, just powerhouses. They're just coming in hot. Totally. Absolutely. You know? America is just struggling to keep up. With the, that's uh, true in a lot of ways, you know. <laughs> At this point, our super fan contest and the rugby world standings have a lot in common. There you go. I mean, it's there's 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 a very strong showing there. In in years past, the UK has been a very strong presence as so, well. Very we've good. Had, we've had a couple of uh, meetups out there, met sure. some super fans, amazing people. Always they just, talk like that all the time. It's delightful. It's hilarious. And we we were very happy about that, very excited about it. But Scandinavia is trying to get up in this. Whoa. And uh, so we've had another package okay. come in from, uh, it's sent from Norway. Indeed. But, but it in, involves Sweden. Okay. I am giving to understand these are two different countries. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> and so. Um, uh, uh, Matt, why don't you read the accompanying note, which explains the contents of the package, and then we will see if we can enjoy and comment on things without saying anything xenophobic. 
Odds are not high. No. But we'll do our best, and we'll see how much time I have to edit this episode during the week. <laughs> um, so this comes in from uh, Norwegian superfan Jacob, who uh, longtime listeners may remember as the uh, the fine gentleman who furnished us with reindeer jerky. Oh, yeah. So already making a very, very strong one-man showing, standing up for an entire subcontinent here in the superfan rank. He says, hi, guys. Time for some more Ikea. Ooh. I pass by Ikea every day, and that's him saying that. That's not us being xenophobic. <laughs> On my way to work, and have bought these far more than is advisable, and now it's time for you guys to get hooked. This came with a, apparently, at the the Ikeas in Norway, you can actually buy many uh, delightful treats. Okay. Um, so he says, in Sweden, we call these damsugare, and in parentheses, dust suckers, mm. which is Swedish for vacuum cleaners, because they resemble the vacuum cleaners in the 60s, when they were first conceived. So, and we'll put up pictures of this on the, on the uh, various social medias, but basically it looks, it's a little candy kind of thing. There's a green stripe down the middle to uh, chocolate stripes on the side. So you can imagine if you've ever seen uh, like an old push kind of vacuum thing, the color scheme, it, it holds Yeah, there are a lot of lime green things in the sixties and seventies. Totally. None of us are sure why it probably has something to do with amphetamines. <laughs> Okay, so you mean for, Swedish amphetamines? You probably say a lot of Swedes do the amphetamines, and I think that's it's, a little inappropriate. It's dark. Wow. Off, it's very often dark for large patches of the year. They wow. have to get through. In Swanglish, which we've all assumed is a combination of Swedish and English, much like the maybe if you live in the American continent, more familiar Spanglish. Ooh, we call them damn suckers, which is okay. a bit profane. I don't care for it. I don't like that kind of potty talk. <laughs> Now I'll just sit back and wait with joy for you to renounce Dom Sugre with a smiley face, which I feel like was aimed at me and my inability to pronounce many things. Look, I think you've, you've pronounced it improperly. D-A-M-M-S-U-G-A-R-E. For those who want to play at home, Glenn is now staring at a piece of paper <laughs> in dead silence. Which is just good audio content. <laughs> if you like the sound of middle-aged men reading, <laughs> the Say That Podcast. I spent about 15 minutes trying to read the back of the package, which had a translation in Finnish. Yeah. Yeah, we had a conversation going. We, we sampled these during our staff meeting, and we were trying to figure out what they said. So this was the conversation. Which is closest to a language anyone can understand? Swedish, Finnish, or Danish? Yeah. Turns out none. Yeah. Damn cigar cigari. Sure. That's sure. Boy, that's how you say it. Well, it sounds sounds good to me. Well, you have confidence. That's you, the main thing. You say it like it's spelled. Here's what it is. We ate this stuff. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know what I mean? This like changed my whole perspective because it's like when you eat it, it's like you're taking a little trip inside your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Right? To the place where they come from. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the most delicious thing I've ever eaten from an Ikea. <laughs> I, I, I nibbled on some particle board here and there. Sure. I, you know, I, it, the package didn't come with enough wrenches, so I thought maybe I can just... Bite down on this and join it that way. Didn't work. They they tell you not to eat the styrofoam that comes packed in that uh, flat pack furniture. Well, that's what just it's so delicious. That's right. <laughs> I don't let the man tell me what I can and can't eat in the furniture I buy, Glenn. That's right. You know, you gotta you gotta stick up for freedom there. Totally. 
But uh, we're thankful. Oh yeah, indeed we are. Send us uh, candy, but in the, the 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 this is I guess it's a pastry, right? That's what, what it we says. Would, we would call this. Now, yeah, uh, it, it, it's it says on the package, it's memorable moments. Okay, with laughter and pastries. I enjoy all those things. So that's, uh, you know, I think that's perfect for. Uh, that was almost going to be the uh, slogan of this podcast. It also says on the package that it's Uts certified. Well, that's good. Oh, I'm a strong believer in Uts. That well, that, that sounds a little vulgar too. But we're going to look past that and say, this is where I feel like the competition is heating up. It is. Well, we got to bust one of these out on the air. Go, man. go for it. Oh, good. The get listeners were it. almost concerned they weren't going to hear chewing. Mm-hmm. Get the get the full smack going. You gotta you gotta you know get the palate going with that. These know. are really good, actually. So kind of a nice spiced quality. These are, they're really good. Yeah, we're I, I loved them. Quite nice. Now the one of the fun things of this is these came to uh, say that world headquarters also, uh, which just happens to be in Glenn's basement. Um, so our, our our fine bookkeeper and uh, friend Miss Laurel uh, yep. got them from the PO box, brought them. Yep. Um, and uh, so Glenn texted myself and Jed and Lee that hey, these are here and isn't it amazing and it's super fun. And it was. And I, as some of you may uh, know, I am recently married, and that's going to come into play here because I got that text while I was in an IKEA. Wow. Dang, dude, that's a sign. It was a real IKEA inception moment. Yeah, it's multi layered. I think it's this is uh, this is it. Your your wife, and isn't that fun to say? Yes. Your wife was saying, uh, and really trying to assert that you're in the IKEA, not only of your own volition entirely, but I think there was an implication that she felt that there was a secret enjoyment that you had going on there, that there was, it was, it was a desire that you were, you were tapping into there. Yeah. I just want to get in touch with my Scandinavian-ness. Yeah. There was, there was, there was a side of you that really, really enjoyed the idea of going to Ikea that you, maybe you were, you're afraid to admit it. So maybe on, on, on this show, you can express your feelings about Ikea, Matt. Let it out, bro. It's a safe space. I like having a desk. Mm. And I like only having to spend $110 to have the desk. Mm. So thus concludes my emotional journey with Ikea. So I did almost get lost, though. Sure, sure. The only I couldn't get out of the children's section, and that's bad. (laughs) To be in Ikea is to be lost. Sure. Sure. Well, spiritually and emotionally, certainly. Well, what I'm hearing, fellas, is that Matt wasn't allowed to use a desk in the new place. Mm. Well, that's not exactly true as much as I have a desk in my uh, my bachelor apartment, mm. as my uh, my beloved wife has dubbed it, because it has, a, in her mind, an insufficient amount of natural light, the cave. Okay. <laughs> um, she's very against the cave. I did not find this out until we had uh, moved, and she was ah, I think your place is pretty nice. It's It's... Which was in Singleman out there. Here's you. There's a code uh, when your uh, lady friend comes to see your part for the first time. Of oh, this is this is pretty nice. Which is this is not as terrible as I thought it might be. Sure, right. Which is right. nice. Yeah, uh, that's where uh, 
if you're friends with Glenn and Jed, there's been a lot of what we like to call level setting. Yeah. About the amount of squalor that a single man can live in. <laughs> yes. But uh, so I have a desk yeah. along with uh, some other furniture in the apartment yeah. I lived in for several years before we got together. And uh, at some point in the move process, I was informed that this would be unacceptable. Okay. In the new place. So you, so you had a desk. Yeah. You just could not bring it with you. It did not fit the aesthetic uh-huh. of the place I live now, which was confusing to me because to the best of my knowledge, I've never lived in a place with an aesthetic before. Right. Oh, wow. Must be nice having an aesthetic. It's just kind of a you know random collection of things that were the cheapest one or I found on a curb or, you know, the, the way, however a man gathers his furniture. Okay. Well, that triggers an episode of two dudes trying to explain how life works to each other. But here's the thing, Matt, is when you get a place, you gotta, you, you got, you have a look. Maybe we're going for country casual. Oh. Maybe, maybe we're going for a southwestern theme. Oh. You know, back to the 80s. It's a fiesta. With that, you know? Whatever the thing is. So much topaz. But the problem is, if you overdo it, you could end up being a little too matchy-matchy. Oh, a little too on theme? Yes, and that's you, you don't want that either. So you, don't, you want kind of a barn door aesthetic, right. but you don't want to actually have hay. That's, You've gone too barny. It's gone too, you, it's a little too literal. Oh. A little too on the nose, as they say. Joanna Gaines is trying to give you the, the feeling of a country. You shouldn't literally have hogs. Yeah, you really should not oh. have hogs in your condo. Not in, in Forest Park. Not no. in Forest Park. It's written in there. It's in the. It's actually in the condo rules. Goats are a lot more festive than hogs, though. So, I mean, there's options. There is not a reason to have a Festive goat. is the adjective you went with there. Yeah, yeah. With all the things goats have over, over pigs, and you went with festivity. Oh, yeah, they're way festive. Christmas at Jed's house is weird. <laughs> Well, I mean, one thing, I mean, to kind of knit all this together, I'm, I'm feeling like is, so we got, we got the unacceptable bachelor apartment. Yep. Yeah. I we, mean, apparently the only thing to come out of it really was Matt, and it seemed like that I was I made the a, cut, which that, is nice. That was sort of a squeaker, but he, he got in there. You know that Bible verse where it talks about, you know, a man escaping us through the fire? Yeah. Where he is saved, but everything else is completely destroyed? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Okay. Right? So we've got the we've got the cave. We've got uh-huh. the, the prototypical, nay, archetypical bachelor apartment on the one hand. Right. And then we've got the Damsuger, um, the, sure. the delicious pastries. Here's what I'm saying is, for those bachelors out there, doing, what can I, I live in a cave. What can I do? What you can do is you can have festive pastries from Ikea. Oh. And that livens up any living situation. That's true. They so, have colors in them. It's a, you put out a spread, man. This is the thing. As a single man buying furniture, you didn't know there were colors other than black and brown. There are. And one of them is in the Domsuger. There you go. This is what it is, people. Uh, our Matt is growing up. Yeah. He's dealing with situations that only the Swedish can solve. Yeah, absolutely. I about that. He's, he's out in the world. And he's trying to make his way. Yeah. He's not really acceptable as is, but we're, we're working. None of us are. He, he, None of us, certainly. He's a, he's a lump of clay that we can hope to fashion a person out of. Sure. And the brave young woman who's taken on this project Needs our prayers. Absolutely, that's, true. that's definitely true. I mean, this is this is you know uh, 
Jed and I are mostly beyond all hope. This That's definitely is, true. It's about as good as it's going to get. Yeah. You know. And we, we're probably on a downward spiral. So. Yeah, it's, we've peaked. Yeah. That's, there's no question about definitely. that. Definitely. It's a downhill slide. But the thing about Matt is uh, he's in a situation, uh, he's making the best of it, He's going to the IKEA, getting an acceptable desk, getting an acceptable desk. Yep, not like the one in the cave you're right. living in, like a cave man. Yes, oh. you see what? Oh, see what I didn't even rise the implications in that. There you go. The E in acceptable has an umlaut over it. Mm. That's how you know it's an IKEA desk. Okay, oh, yeah. that's uh, that's what you ask for when you go in there. Exactly right. Uh, now you're all hoping I don't tell this. The the joke I always tell every time I go to the to the IKEA. What joke would that be, Glenn? <laughs> Matt would just cut it out anyway. So That's true. Yes, that he would. <laughs> if you want to know what that joke is, you can email us say that podcast at gmail dot com, and we'll uh, on upon seeing a state issued ID verifying your age, tell Do you that Glenn's way. IKEA joke. If, if you've ever been to IKEA, they have Swedish names for everything that's in there. They do indeed. Sometimes those Swedish names are close to something that's vaguely scandalous. Yeah. And then I start yelling that at the top of my lungs and ask for where I can find one in the IKEA. Sometimes sure. they're so close to something scandalous English that had to have been intentional. Yeah. Because yeah. someone told them what this meant. Yeah. Here's the key thing. Jacob, we love you. We're grateful. These are awesome pastries. This is super, super cool. cool. Fantastic. Glennis, you declare the emergency. Okay. Oh yeah, the, the you know emergency off. Oh, Thank you. Yeah, he never he never has quite as much oomph on that one. No, it's you know you know what it is. I'm I'm hopped up on this damn sugar. Yes, you yes, are indeed. And that's uh, that's not vulgar, people. It's Swedish. And if you have problems with a Swedish, maybe you need to look into your own heart. And because this is an educational podcast, it is. I found a person from Sweden saying it. No, in Swedish. And you brought that person here. Oh, it's on your phone. It's on my <laughs> phone. Here we go. Do it. One more time. That's not a, a, a program. That's just how everyone in Sweden sounds. I my I don't think my tongue does that. Well, and on yet. that note, yeah, yeah, I really declare emergency off. Moving on. Yes, that is very kind of Jacob. And if you're a if you're a, a scamp of a child who wants an excuse to uh, curse in church, bring uh, the Dom sugar to your next church potluck. Totally. Tell everyone what it is. Be able to say damn over and over and over again in church. That's fun. For all of us. Well, another thing that has an international fan base, international flavor, if you will, is mm-hmm. Bridgebox. Uh, we're we're here in the month of November talking about what do you do when things don't get better? You got sermons from Glenn and myself. You've got some songs. We'll hear a couple of these. We'll hear one of these later in the show. You do have the international flair of a Jamaican vocalist on one of our songs. Indeed. Mm. And the same song. It was mastered at Abbey Road, maybe you've heard of it. Yes, mm. that one. Um, so we got a lot of uh, awesome songs from Lee, lots of awesomely talented people kicking in on that stuff. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Do get involved. All right. We are being that we don't have Lee, and we're all hopped up on the Dom Sugare, and it's all just a topsy-turvy world today. We're breaking formats. What? What? I know. It's an insane world. We have one question this week, but it's a big one. And it's got a lot of angles to it. It's, it does kind of, it 
immediately overlap with our day job in a way that stuff doesn't always. So I wanted to maybe spend the next hour or so together just kind of looking at all the aspects of this question for a couple of reasons. One, I believe it, there's a specific in that that we are uniquely qualified to answer, which I'm being brutally honest, folks, is not always the case with the questions we get on this show. <laughs> um, but then there's also a much wider thing that I think everybody kind of wants uh, tips and tricks on. So we're going to look at that. So our question came into our email address and it says, an acquaintance of mine is in prison. We spoke a few times, shared dinner once, but we're never really friends. They recently reached out to me in desperation, asking for someone to talk to. I get the feeling they don't have many other friends or family. Assuming we can work at a schedule where I can talk with them for 30 to 60 minutes a week, what do I say? What should I look out for? What's the best way to comfort a friend in prison? So there's the specifics of this, which is uh, encouraging someone who's in prison, which the uh, the assembled uh, folks here have been doing for quite a while, and Glenn and, and Jed have been uh, doing that professionally for a, a good little minute here. So there's there's you're going to get some serious world level expertise in that. Then there we're going to talk later about just this idea of how do I encourage someone who's going through a hard time and maybe a hard time that I don't understand, because um, there there is a thing to that. Um, and I, when I was emailing our friend with question back, some of the things that I thought about. There's got to be something you can reference out there and start looking at Christian stuff. And man, short of giving a taught theologically sound presentation for why someone should uh, believe the same five points of something you believe, there's not a lot of good information on how to just sit down and be cool to someone in a way that's going to make them uh, feel that someone was kind to them. So it's a very important thing. But Glenn, I'd love to get you to start off with any specifics about the prison thing. So prison is a very specific environment. It's yeah. a very intense one. I think there are some things about that. We're going to be able to extrapolate out to other less intense environments, but someone who's been doing this for a long time, if you had five minutes with our friend and just say, here's what I'd say, here's what I wouldn't say, where would you start off? Well, as you point out, uh, and rightly so, most of what we'll say today or apply to any kind of one-on-one situation. I think, uh, what, makes this specific uh, or or different in a prison environment is that there's no real joy happening there. This is not a fun place. They're not having a good time there. It might be similar if you're visiting somebody in a hospital, let's say sure. a cancer ward, something along those lines where it's, you can just walk in and feel this is, this is not a place where we're trying to be happy. We're really trying to go for living through this and 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 uh so i think it does call for a sense of uh understanding that people are in that place and coming in on that note and uh, you know saying you know having soft tones and uh, you know recognizing this is going to be a negative environment it's going to be um uh, this is a person who's just sad and it's not going to be anything besides that i think uh, mistakes are made in any kind of ministry environment, but I've certainly seen in prison when you just pretend that you're not in prison. You know, I I think you I, I see some people you know come in as volunteers or whatever else with an attitude of you know what probably this person would like to feel as if we're just two people sitting on a park bench out in the world. You guys don't know this, but a lot of prisons have just the equivalent of a park bench that's bolted to the floor. So it's, you know, uh, which loses some of the whimsy really, it really does. There are no uh, squirrels either. Yeah. So, you know, maybe this guy would rather pretend we, that we're literally just sitting in a picnic table in the middle of a, uh, you know, a nice park. 
So I'm just going to talk to him like that's the case and whatever. But you end up on one level sort of disrespecting the level of pain the person's in. You also act like you aren't aware of what's going on and you're not caring about what's going on, which really hurts the your ability to help with what's going on. So I think it is about recognizing this is a tough situation, this is a tough circumstance, uh, but that you're there to um, be in that with them rather than trying to pretend we're not there. I is a really fantastic place to start off, and it is universally applicable. That does that holds true in a prison, that holds true in a hospital room, that holds true in you know a lunchroom and a, where a kid's having a hard time in school. It's definitely true. And Jed, there, there's something I'd love to get you to pick up on there, where uh, the the question our friend asked, which is exactly an understandable question. It's it's one we, that everyone asks when they ask about something like this. Is first question is what do I say? Yeah. And I think as Glenn's pointing is to us, pointing us there is maybe one of the the biggest mistakes people can make is trying to set a be the one to set the tone. Mm-hmm. It seems like uh, a lot of what we do when we even do a chapel service, much less just to go visit someone that we know who's locked up or in a tough situation, there's a lot of listening going on. Yeah, We talked about that on the show before, but I'd love to talk about that in this specific context of what is the value of that and how can we endeavor to be good at that? Man, that's a great question. I think one of the things here, here's one of the weird kind of paradoxes. It would certainly be true for a person in, in a hospital bed. It's true. I've done a fair amount of visiting of people that are in psychiatric units and it's, it's true there. And particularly for someone that's relatively new to being incarcerated, it's, it's true behind bars is that person is having what is in their life an exceptional experience. This is, um, it is different than what they have experienced in the past. It is, it is an exception to them. But everything about the environment that they're in is set up to treat them as though they are unexceptional. You are one more patient in this hospital. You are one more person in this psychiatric ward. You are one more, per, one more detainee in this uh, prison facility. And that sets up a really weird thing where... A, people, most people like to talk about what they're going through, and most people, well, maybe not most, but a lot of people process things at least in part verbally. Um, they understand them better when they're able to talk about those things out loud. But if you think about being sick and in the hospital, um, it's there's not really a situation that's set up for you to talk to people that work at the hospital about what it's like for you to be a patient. It's not really set up for that. And, and, and the same thing is true in a psychiatric ward. And the same thing is definitely true in a prison facility where the folks who work at the prison don't want to hear your thoughts about what it's like to be a prisoner. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons why you need to be careful in what you share with your fellow detainees uh, in the ways in which you share it. But you still have this human need to talk and to process what you're going through um, in, in, a, in a verbal fashion. So... Listening is this amazing gift that you can give people that are in, again, what in their lives is an exceptional situation. You can give them a safe place to be an individual. Um, You can give them a safe place to talk about the experiences that they are having, whether or not those experiences are the same as the other 50 guys on the prison deck that they're in. Their experiences may be almost identical, but they're talking to you. And they can tell you about this as though they were the only person dealing with this. And it's, I think it's kind of an odd thing to recognize that at once 
their experience probably is nearly identical to everybody else on that prison deck, but they need to be able to talk about it as though that weren't true. They need to be able to talk about it purely as an individual and be heard as an individual and have that information processed as though they were the only person dealing with this. And you giving them a listening ear is about the only way for that to happen. Um, that's that's pretty much it. And you may discover that there's almost no one trying to do that. There are a lot of good, well, good may be the wrong word. There are a lot of understandable reasons for it. Uh, prison visitation is actually pretty hard to set up, at least in Chicago. It is not pleasant and not easy. Almost intentionally so. <laughs> like, I mean, they have a constitutional right to it. Yeah. But it's like the people who are in charge of that just kind of don't want that to happen because they'd have to get up out of their chair. Yeah. And I mean, in truth, you know, I mean, uh, again, you know, I visited a fair number of people in psychiatric settings. Uh, it's similar there. Um, I, I think you could make the argument that there are more good reasons for it to be difficult in psychiatric settings, but either way, it's not easy to do. It's not a pleasant environment. You know, um, like Glenn is saying, you know, there's a lot of settings in life where you can just feel the pain walking in the room. I mean, this, this is a rough place to be. So, if you're willing to to be there and be a listening ear, you are probably the only person who's willing to do that for this individual. If they're insanely lucky, they might have one or two other people, but I wouldn't count on it. I would say that it's probably just you. And again, the thing about listening is you're showing an intense amount of compassion, but you're also letting them be a human being. You're, you are respecting their individuality in a way that nothing else in this environment is set up to do. And you are, I would argue, this is a personal belief. You don't have to go with it, but it is my belief. I think you're safeguarding their mental health. I think that when people are able to process things, um, they are able to have better mental health. And it is so difficult to effectively process things if you can't talk about them out loud in words, in at least a somewhat vulnerable, unguarded fashion. You put all that together, it means that listening is an unbelievable gift for you to give to this person. That's absolutely true. So one caveat I want to go and throw out in here while we're so early in this is, you may hear, as we just did, a fair amount of snark from the three of us about uh, prison prison chaplain, uh, prison systems, about the visitation stuff, about red tape. And uh, that annoyance comes from the fact that, that it just makes us harder to do our job and we see a lot of it's nonsense. If you are someone who's going in to visit, and this is true for us too, it is also a fact of life. You do have to abide by it. Yeah. The better you are at abiding by the rules, the smoother it's going to be for everyone. So if you're the kind of person who, you know, you're not in, you're used to an institutional environment, so you may think, well, why do we, like, this is a good example. There's, so there's lockers at the uh, Cook County Jail where we go do our, our uh, chapel service every week. Um, this kind of lockers you may have been like a water park or something where there's like a token you put in there and open it. Mm. This entire facility has the one token. Someone goes and puts it in and locker and then they take it back to the front. That's right. patently insane. Right. And a terrible system. And if the kind of person who, you know, you're used to wanting efficiency and wanting things to work and be able to talk to a manager, you're going to have to kill that part of yourself because right. you just got to roll this. And the same goes for the rules. There may be rules yeah. about, you know, stand behind this line and don't go over here. And you may think those are nonsense. And in the course of our work, if we had to, we might bend that rule or kind of mm -hmm. go over here. But that's not out of a disregard for those. That's out of knowing how things work. So if you're yeah. a new person to a system, if you want to be there for this one person, as much as we are not the people who normally give this advice, it is good and important to follow the rules. So yep. you're going to hear some snark from us on that end. But at the end of the day, what we would tell you, if you're going to Cook County to visit someone is, Whatever someone with a badge tells you to do, 
just say yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and and do it because that's you know, like if you're going to the hospital, they have visitation hours. The same kind of concept. Yeah, and there's this. I, that's actually a great example because there's this weird kind of. And I, look, I loved uh, Goodwill Hunting too. Sure. But there's this weird glorification of well, if you really care, you know, you wouldn't. You just no visitation hours mean something to everyone. Yeah, because there are armed guards who will escort you out of this. Right. So, but as you point out, this is about doing what you can with the time you have. So visitation hours are if you get. So if you're supposed to get 60 minutes for a visitation and you end up getting 15 and they call a thing, that's that's just the way that's going to go. It's not we we can't let that wreck our whole thing. So Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick up here because there is, I think, as exactly as Jez lays, lays out, if you're in the mode to get to maximize the effect you can have as someone who listens to someone, mm-hmm. that's a great thing. Yeah, and there's ways to do that where this may differ from uh, counseling, from ministry, from stuff we would do is there, you're probably not going to shift a gear off that in the sense mm-hmm. of if this is someone in prison, you are not a lawyer. If this is someone who's, you know, at a, in a hospital situation, you are not a, you're not a doctor. So you cannot solve their problems, mm-hmm. but you can still listen to them and talk about them. So maybe, especially those of us who are uh, uh, afflicted with a Y chromosome who wanting to jump to a quick, and cut and dry solution is the way we tend to try to have conversations. Mm. What are the kind of things you're talking to someone who's going through a hard time about when you know the end of this conversation is not going to be, okay, so go over here and talk to him and bing, bang, boom, it's fixed. Uh, well, yeah, I was at Cook County Jail earlier today and uh, we were dealing with a, a couple of situations, as it turns out, that are nowhere near my ability to fix or really affect to, to a great deal. Uh, the reality is um, that's true in most counseling situations that I'm in. Um, but, you know, the, when problems get particularly big, you start thinking, well, now I need to do something. I need to deal with this on some sort of level. Uh, I think part of the thing that we um, get stuck in in thinking or trying to figure out when we're going from crisis to crisis with people and, and trying to you know encourage them and, and minister to them, is we get stuck in a cycle of trying to manage a bad situation into something more acceptable. Mm-hmm. And we need to do that. And in a lot of cases, that's just that you know we have a crisis, we got to make it not a crisis, and that's fine. But it's important to have a vision for... If it's not this crisis, what is it? I mean, what is, what would be a good situation given the parameters of what we're looking at here? Mm-hmm. Then we can have something that we can build towards. So it's really by getting out, everything out of the way of that good thing we're trying to achieve because we can chase the, oh, no, it's another thing going wrong mentality over and over again. And again, this applies to everybody in life. It's not you know isolated to prison stuff. It's just that, you know, the, the nature of the prison thing gives you a clear awareness as this is stuff you can't do anything about. And it and it, it again, the severity of it drives a sense of gee whiz, we we ought to do something about it. But you know, to 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 give an example, there was a, a gal who's um uh familiar with the show and uh, got in touch with me and she's dealing with a number of, you know, emotional issues and uh, sort of life issues and uh, life transitions and all that kind of stuff. And and really feeling uh, swamped by that, and feeling as though she's struggling to move forward. But uh, 
you know, we were dealing with that and moving through it in a really good way. I said, okay, but I want a big picture. What's the dream? What's the goal? And we're getting rid of all these problems doesn't make things automatically great. We have to be we have an idea. And she mentioned uh, what that would be, and in in her case, that was doing stuff with art. You know, and uh, I thought, well, you know, this is this is great. So we started talking about what that might be, and she. Uh, uh, put herself out there and and ended up uh, teaching an art class and immediately when you know one of her students was having a bit of a crisis and came up to her after the the teaching session and they were able to pray together and you know the ministry just flowed uh, out of that uh but that that whole cycle of all that started with getting past the crisis mentality of that and thinking, you know, how do we, how good could this be? What is a good version of what we're looking at? That can be almost impossible to think about when you're in this low of a position, but I think it is essential. Otherwise we just don't have anything to build towards. Mm-hmm. I think that's really great stuff. And Jed, to that point, um, there's, a, there's a, a concept that we talk about all the time in our ministry uh, that's changing the channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, to in order to kind of walk that path Glenn has laid out for us and do a good job at that while we're, while we're listening, while we're encouraging someone, it's very important not to do that. So, yeah. you know, we mentioned um, kind of letting the other person set the tone. So, you know, to take the, the prison example, you know, someone, you may go to visit someone and they just may be real down and want to just kind of sulk and how much this sucks. And there's part of us, I think there's part of a normal person and it's understandable to say, well, you know, you can't be negative and let's, yeah, let's turn that up. frown upside down. Yeah, let's, and that'll be my goal to do that. Or, you know, it can be the other way. Somebody said, well, you know, they, they're just talking about, well, you know, I decided when I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to go to school for this. I'm going to start this business and these grand plans. And, you know, you can sit there and go, no, no, that's going to happen. But it's, you know, why, why torpedo that now? What, sure. how do we, because I think you're, you are very, very good at this. And I've seen you do this with people a lot. How do you stay on the emotional level, particularly someone coming in on, and offer them some help in the way Glenn's talking about? Uh, how do you not jump to, well, that's stupid, and you're kind of stupid for thinking that. What about this realistic thing over here? What, what's, the, what's the fine line on that? Man, I think that's a great question. A ready example for a lot of folks behind bars is... I would say a majority of guys that we talk to behind bars, regardless of how long they have left on their sentence, are very concerned about finding a job when they get out. Uh, Guys who have another five years, they will be in this prison for another five years, are concerned right now today about the job they're going to get when they get out. And there's some, I mean, I think, I hope as you're listening, you can hear the problem. And it's, there is a temptation to say, um... Job market could be totally different in five years. Nobody's uh, going to hold a job open for five years. Yeah. So. What well, you know? What? Well, let's cross that bridge when we come to it, bro. Let's. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think there's there's a few things. One is the challenge of incarceration. I think this is true in, in other situations too, but it's definitely true in incarceration. Is how do you not give in to despair? What is the tool that you, as a person who is a detainee, whether you've been convicted of a crime or not, you are detained against your will, what are you using to not give in to despair? And there are answers to that. Some answers to that are extremely healthy. 
Uh, you know, people where my relationship with God is the thing that gives me strength to to get out of bed in the morning and to you know to keep my head up to keep a positive outlook. You've got things that are probably less healthy. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> there are a lot of people maintaining very drama filled uh, relationships with their significant other from behind bars. Um, a lot of broken payphones in your local jail. There really are. But the thing is, it's something other than the empty ache of despair. It's something other than just my life sucks and it's going to be like this for a long time. Um, and so we're, we're doing that. It's not nearly as healthy as the relationship with God, but it, it is something. It is something. So I think it's worth asking, you know, if you're talking to your friend or, or anyone in this kind of situation, when they're mentioning stuff, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my job, I'm thinking about the degree I'm going to get, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that. How much of this on their part, and this is a question for you to ask yourself internally, how much of this is they're really trying to make concrete plans for five years from right now, and how much of this is a person doing their level best to not give in to despair? And this is just the tool that they're using to do that. I think what you find is most of the time, the stuff that seems a little out there is a person trying desperately to not give in to despair. And there's no reason to kick that crutch out from underneath them. Um, you, I mean, to, to reference the golden rule, if the roles were reversed, you would not want someone doing that to you. So I think it's worth looking at what are, what are the things that we can end this conversation with that would be wins, that would be worth leaving them with. And, and I think that there are three that anybody can do. Um, There's stuff that gets more specialized and more complicated where you really need some skill and some experience and some precision. But I think there's three that anybody can do. And they are, I love you. I'm praying for you. I believe in you. I think anybody can effectively communicate those three things. And I'll, I'll tell you why and how. So the love is obvious from the fact that you are there. Prison sucks. It is awful. If you are choosing, and maybe it's on the phone, maybe it's in person, but either way, if you're choosing to give of your time to interface with this person, it is obvious that this is coming from a place of love. That said, if it's appropriate to the relationship, and that's up for you to decide, but to the extent that it's appropriate for the relationship, say those words out loud. Say, I love you. Just so you know, we start our chapel services by saying, we are here because we love you. That is why we are here. So anybody can do that. And those men, those women, they need to hear that. They need to hear that. The next is, I am praying for you. People need to, it's, you should be literally praying for them. You also should say the words, I am praying for you. Just so you know, I am praying for you. Um, if you, you know, the, the funny thing about that is even people that are pretty cynical about spiritual stuff, when life gets really tough, you, you might phrase it as a question if you're like, would it be okay if I remember you in my prayers this week? No one is going to object to that, just so you know. I mean, if somebody considers themselves a very, you know, angry, anti-religion person and life's going great, they might, when life starts really going wrong, they're, they're not going to object to that. But the last one, which is, I believe in you, is really pivotal. Because what you're saying is, what you're dealing with right now is not the last chapter in your life, and I'm not confused about that. I believe that there are better things ahead for you than this. I believe that there are greater adventures ahead. I believe that there are are new chapters ahead. And I am cheering you on whatever that looks like. I believe in you. That's, you know, this phone call is not pity. This visitation is not pity, which is another thing that we directly say to people. I believe in you. I, I, I think that your best days are yet to come. 
And I think recognizing in the spirit of not changing the channel on people, you know, of, of not saying, you don't worry about a job, whatever, is recognizing you are trying to figure out how to keep it together. It is good for you to try and keep it together. And because you shouldn't give in despair because there are better days ahead. I don't know how soon they are. I don't know exactly what they will look like, but I believe that they are coming and I believe in you and I believe you can get there. So you shouldn't give in to despair, whatever that needs to look like. It's a really well put point. And I think it's important to point out that as we're, we're saying there, no one would necessarily, hopefully, openly scoff and say, what do you need a job for? You're going to be in here for a long time, so long, a soul-crushingly long amount of time. But if someone is you know, kind of offering up their their thing that's keeping them sane today, even a, well, you know, it's kind of a long time, and maybe there's some programs in here you can think about, reads to a, someone who's having heart the exact same way as, Pff. So it's, it's as we talked about in the show, you know, communication is not what's being said as much as what's being heard. So particularly, you know, in these kind of places we're talking about, prisons, hospitals, you know, anytime or any place where someone's going through a hard time, it is worth, as, as Jed's saying, being very clear, being very direct with language, because people are in a very heightened emotional state where you don't want them to fill in the blanks on what you mean about stuff. And that's, that's very, a very helpful tip there and let me get you up uh pick up another point here i think it's something very important and i've heard you do to great effect in a lot of ways which is i think one of the things that maybe people who are uncomfortable or people who haven't done a lot of this uh think that i the goal is to get to understanding this situation mm-hmm. very quickly yeah and then i can help and that might right. be what it's like to be in prison what it's like to we, we answered a question recently on the podcast about someone living with a uh, chronic pain um, that could even be, you know, we deal with that at the bridge as far as, you know, someone who grew up is of different racial background, different socioeconomic background. There's this idea of, well, I need to, I need to project that I understand this <laughs> yeah. in some way when the exact opposite is true for a number of reasons. One is, which is you don't yeah like, that's just like, you can be empathetic. You can, uh, sympathize with someone's issues. That's very different than, you know, I've, I've been doing this job full time for eight years. I, I'm no closer to understanding what it's like to grow up as a uh, poor black man in the West side of Chicago. Cause I can't right. understand that. That is right. wholly different from my experience. I can listen to what people who've had that experience tell me about that and apply that, but that's different than no, I pretty much get what that's <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, to give an example for the people I've literally uh, heard uh, Glenn let a uh, gang ma- sit down with people and Glenn's been doing gang ministry in the neighborhoods where he's been doing 20 years saying, Oh, you're a, you're a, disciple interesting tell me about that what's that is that some kind of right. some kind of community club <laughs> but letting people um kind of as, as joe was talking about being an individual set out their own story runs up against that idea to jump to i understand so how yeah. do we both for ourselves and communicate get comfortable with i don't understand what this like this is like and i yeah. need you to tell me and i will react based on what you're telling me right not what i assume i know about this situation we yeah i mean it, it's a fact that uh I many, many times with pastors, I think it's probably the most common thing when we cover this kind of, how do I cancel somebody dealing with an extreme situation? Uh, Nine times out of 10, a pastor will say, well, I don't want to come off like I don't know what I'm talking about. You don't. (laughs) First of all, if you don't, you you are going to come off like that. Second of all, why does that matter? Uh, I don't think it matters. I I think... um, First of all, 
I mean, if, if, if I could describe it to you like this, after 30 years, I, it's rare that I hear a new story. You know, it's, yeah. I, they're all versions of a story I've heard before. Uh, just, I mean, it happens, but it's, it's rare. It's, it, you hear the same basic stuff all the time. Uh, but I think that's a temptation in the bad direction for me mm. uh, because I need to know what makes this situation different if mm. I'm going to counsel this person and, and have some sympathy, have some understanding. If I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Well, you're not going to feel like your story is interesting. Thanks. Or, you know, yeah, it's just like you're giving me the brush off here. So that's not good. But I think for pastors in, in their case, and maybe for you in your case, you're thinking, I need to have some sort of credibility here. I need, I need for this person to buy into the idea that I know what I'm talking about. I am learned. Yeah. Here's how you do that by the listening that Jed was talking about. Yep. You don't do it by projecting, I already know. Because how could you know? I mean, if you, I mean, there are, there are people, that, siblings that you have that grew up in the same household with you. You and that person had a totally unique experience yep. of growing up. Yep. You say, well, you know, it's in the same house, the same parents. Parents don't treat kids the same way. Being a first child is not the same as being a middle child and so on and so forth. It's different. Everybody's life is different. Everybody's story is unique. If you have a, a mentality of, hey, I get it all, man. I understand it all, man. You're going to end up giving people a bad impression of you. And you will not know because yeah. you're cutting them off from telling yeah. you. So in pretending that you know what you're talking about, you will be more ignorant. You've torpedoed this whole situation. <laughs> yeah. But now if I say, somebody says, you know, uh, I grew up in an abusive home. I may know a whole lot about that, some from personal experience, some from professional, law, you experience. Know, professional experience. But I want to come across like I'm a blank slate. You know, if that person says I grew up in an abusive uh, or, or, you know, an extremely bad family situation, I want to come back with, okay, tell me everything about that. Yeah. Pretend I don't know what that could be, might be, whatever. Give me the full download. Tell me the whole story. Give me all the details, spare nothing, so that I can get a picture of what's going on. Now, here's the thing. That sounds like I'm massively humbling myself and pretending like I don't know about a situation I may know quite a little bit about. But I'm getting the information from this person. It's not only allowing me to for sure know what I'm talking about, but it's also proving to the other person that I understand about the situation. If I tell you I understand, you have to take my word for it. But if you tell me everything, you know I know it. Sure. So that that really gives me a whole lot more oomph and a whole lot more credibility behind what I'm saying. That's what you're trying to get in the first place. Mm -hmm. Listening is how you get there. But I think it it's it starts with that that attitude of presenting that other person, I'm not here to judge, I'm not here to um, uh, be the all-knowing person. You know, I, I I see a lot of I see this at jail, but I see it in uh, in in uh, residential drug uh, treatment facilities and stuff, where a speaker is standing up, and it's like the whole room is looking at them, and like, is this guy going to give us a talk from the straight person to the crooked people? Yeah, because they're going to put you in a very different category if you're doing that. 
we make a practice when we, even if we're preaching, you know, all the stuff I'm talking about here is, you know, one-on-one, but if we're preaching, I'll, I'll still stand up and say, look, I don't know what it's like to be where you're at. I, I have a sense. I don't know what that's like. Now, I know about the screw-ups in my life. I know the struggles and the problems that I have in my life. You might find some overlap in what, what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. Everyone's story is unique. You don't know what it's like to be anybody else you ever talk to about the Lord. Listen as much as you can. Respect the fact that their 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 experience deserves a deep, deep look. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. And I think that really gets to the crux of what we're saying on this whole thing. Because um, essentially we're, we're using prison as our example because that's the question that came in and that's a world we know very well. But what we're talking about, what we've been talking about today is helping someone, encouraging someone who is in a fairly extreme situation and the one that you are not in as well. So again, that could be someone who has a chronic illness. That could be someone who just lost their pets. That could be, um, you know, someone who is in a different economic situation than you are. Any number of things where someone is having a hard time and you are not in the same situation, but attempting to offer a listening ear, which again, we want to say, to our friend who wrote the question, and to a ton of the people we listen who know that do this kind of stuff and uh, volunteer prison ministry and youth ministry and helping out sex workers and all the amazing people listening to the show, we're super proud of you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Showing up is 90% of it. It really is. That's another reason that we don't focus too, too much on what is said because, you know, we'll have guys two, three, five years after we've met them in Cook County, either most of the times uh, through a, a drug rehab, uh, program we're working with and maybe just on the street they'll come to the bridge and i've these guys have been doing a lot longer than i have they can they can tell me if they have different examples i've never heard anyone say i really thought about that thing you said <laughs> but i've heard a lot of people say you guys were there every week yeah yeah that's the thing that sticks is I, you guys came yeah and that's so if all you do is show up with a certain consistency and as consistent as you can be again people understand that you know the life and People who are in prison, if we understand there's a lot of red tape and all yeah. stuff with prison, so you need some grace on that. But if you show up consist- with a certain consistency and, and really reach out, show that love in the way these guys are talking about, that that is going to be the thing that does the work. And that's the same in the middle school lunchroom and the, the hospital ward and the old folks' home. Showing up is 90% of it. If you listen enough and occasionally let the, word give, let the Lord give you a word to say something encouraging, you're going to do an immense amount of good in the world. We will, because we've been talking a lot of good. hope that made you feel very good. Now it's time for a couple of minutes on the flip side, because we do need to talk boundaries in helping people out. Specifically, um, again, in the as I sat down and typed out an email to our friend who, who wrote in, and one of the things I was very wanted to make sure we were very clear with him about was there are some things that you know you want to go, you want to listen, you want to encourage a person. That's great. There are some things you should not do. Um, there are some things even that we want to be clear when we talked on the show before that we as professionals in a prison ministry might even do that you should not do, you know, and your facility, the facility you go to probably has rules about uh, continued contact with this person and don't talk to anyone for them and don't pass messages along. And it's can seem very, very cold, very harsh to when someone says, you know, my mom, I got, I'm in here and she didn't know the full story. So you can go tell her about the thing. Or I, I owe this guy rent money. And can you just go I the message for him? Um, and if we were working with someone, we may go run a message to a lady because we're trying to minister to her as well and get a gang connection, all that. You should not do that. 
there's a rule that still has again where this is the one episode in the history of this podcast where we're gonna lean some a little bit towards rules are good you do not want to go be passing messages for people who are in prison yep. because that's a good way for you to end up an unwilling participant in a drug deal so, so please super don't do that um and but again that's the same of you know I'm sure the person you're visiting in the hospital would love for you to bring them in a cheeseburger because cheeseburgers are great and hospital food sucks. You should not do that because their doctor is telling them things. So the boundaries do not fall away when we're trying to be empathetic to people. Um, they're actually become more and more important as we're, as we're doing that because you're, you're, you are giving of yourself. You are, you're showing your, your vulnerability in that way. It is important to maintain those healthy boundaries. And if you're new to a situation and you don't exactly know what those lines are, please give yourself permission to say to yourself, that makes me uncomfortable. I should not do that. I'm not going to do that, at least on round one. Again, if it's specifically about prison, we know that world pretty well. Please do email us. We will we will tell you uh, what we can about that. But um, you're doing a good thing. It's important to do a good thing smartly because we don't want your good thing to get uh, end up costing you something. That's a, it's a terrible thing. We want you to, to stay clear-eyed about all that so we hope this was uh illustrative we hope this was uh fun if you uh think about doing prison ministry again if you have any questions about that that's something we are so relieved to get questions about things we actually know stuff about so uh, do feel free to send those along but all again this is stuff is universally applicable we we truly believe that's part of the premise of the show is the work we do is bog standard vanilla outreach ministry we happen to do it in a pretty extreme environment where we have to mind our p's and q's so we hope we can help that uh, trickle down into less extreme environments where uh, the, the stuff will work just as well. So if you do have a question for us, we'll be back with our regular format next week. Say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We mentioned a dance hall remix Ooh. at the beginning of this show mm. of one of our bridge worship tunes available on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you download or stream music. Made in the image of the Lord, this is the ever- Reclusive, mysterious pool house guru. Oh. We thought his mountaintop chapel was in Tibet. We may be mistaken because we do have a uh, Jamaican singer and a song mastered at Abbey Road. So we give you the pool house guru's take on Made in the Image. Say that. Thanks for listening. This morning. we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, proud to be fueled by furniture store-based pastries. Ha!